Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. Once again, we're so glad that you decided to come to church and you decided to choose our church today. Amen. Thank God for One Cause Church. Thank God that it's going Texas-wide and worldwide. We've got some good pastors that are out and about that are preaching the Word of God right now. And, uh, and luckily, I get to stand behind one of the pulpits and do the same. And so, for those who don't know me, I know we had a couple new people raise their hand. My name is Jeremiah Land. I am the young adults pastor. I deal with 18 to 25-year-olds. So, uh, once they get out of high school, and uh, we make sure we get them through college, and then uh, we, we send them on to Big Boy Church. Um, so, me and my wife uh, have been here for two and a half years, and it's just been such an honor and a privilege uh, to be a part of this church and then being able to serve in the church and now be leadership and staff at the church. Um, if this is your first time, this is a good place. This is a safe place. This is a place where you'll grow, where you'll learn, where people will love you, and, uh, and where you'll be blessed. You'll look back in three months, six months, a year and say, my, 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 look what the Lord has done. Um, God is a good God, and uh, he's placed some good pastors, Pastor Eric and Heather, over us. So it's just such an enjoyable time to sit and listen and uh, to be led by them. So um, enough uh, kissing up to her. Um, There's also one random side note that I just have to uh, let you know, uh, that during offering, he failed to mention uh, that the two games of pig that we played, my wife won both games. Uh, I'm not proud of it, but... uh, if I want to eat lunch today, or supper, or sleep in my bed, I have to give her acknowledgement. Uh, she did beat me, and um, it is what it is. Um, I'll be down for prayer tomorrow. So, today I want to talk to y'all about two scriptures. One of them that we've heard quite frequently in our lives. Pastor Eric has alluded to it multiple times. Uh, If you grew up in church at any point in time, you've heard this scripture before. And the Lord is so gracious and the Lord is so good that he reminds me of these scriptures, these scriptures that we grew up learning and quoting um, and that we kind of just almost bypass because they're such familiar scriptures. We don't really enjoy and dive into what they truly mean. We can can repeat them and we can spout them off real quick. but sometimes we need to go back and revisit them. We need to learn from, from those scriptures and just dive into them. And so luckily the Lord was uh, so good and gracious and brought this scripture to my uh, mind as I prepared for this. And so we're going to read it, Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. But God demonstrated his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah. And verse 9, much more then, having now been justified by his blood, We shall be saved from wrath through him. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to stand in front of your people, to one, be a part of your church, and two, to be able to speak to your church, Father. I thank you that I've been diligent to study and prepare myself to speak into their lives. And Father, I thank you that they're diligent and ready to receive this word. Father, I thank you that out of the abundance of my heart, my mouth is going to speak the good words that you have placed inside, and that out of my belly will flow rivers of living water. That it's not by my might, it's not by my power, but it's by your spirit that brings this revelation into our lives today. I thank you for each and every person here. You know what they're going through and you know their situation. And I thank you that they will receive a timely word today that will impact their situation right now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's have some fun today. The title of my sermon is, Oh, You Shouldn't Have. Oh, You Shouldn't Have. 
We've all said this from time to time in our lives. Oh, you shouldn't have, especially around Christmas time or birthday time. When you receive a gift from that crazy uncle or that loving, thoughtful grandmother, you ask for a TV and you get this awesome reindeer sweater. And you don't want to hurt Granny's heart, so what do you say? Oh, you shouldn't have. You really shouldn't have. I appreciate it, but you shouldn't have. I'll try and watch the football game on Rudolph's face on my sweater. Or you get that mixtape CD from uh, Crazy Cousin. Well, appreciate it. You really shouldn't have. You screaming for five hours straight really was a good CD to listen to on the way to work. Thank you so much. You shouldn't have. Then there's the other side of, oh, you shouldn't have. When you receive a gift that's so thoughtful and so meaningful that the only thing that you can say is thank you and, oh, you shouldn't have. You know what they went through. You know the sacrifice that they gave. You know the struggle that they went through to give you that gift. And the only thing that you can mutter is, oh, you shouldn't have. And there's so much joy and there's so much love in that phrase. Yeah. On the other side with Rudolph's sweater, there's kind of a disgust. There's kind of an anger. It's kind of a frustration of you really shouldn't have. Me and my wife recently had a child. He's four months old. She's from South Carolina. I'm from Louisiana. So we got a lot of gifts from people. And my mom would call me and say, hey, we're sending you something from somebody at church that made you something for your kid. And I say, who is this person? They say, you don't know them. They just wanted to bless you. Okay, so we get the package in the mail. And as I unwrap it, the first words out of my mouth, what do you think? Oh, you really shouldn't have. That's a beautiful pink dress, but my son will not wear that. But thank you so much for your thoughts and considerations. Oh, you shouldn't have. But the thing is, a couple weeks ago, I received a package in the mail, very large package. And the first thought was to my wife, what the heck did you just buy? As we start digging into this box, there's this very expensive camera with a case, three or four different lenses, all kind of wires that you can just plug into things that show what you took, a tripod, cleaning kit, all kind of stuff. Once again, I questioned my wife very quickly, oh boy, what did you just buy? She said, I didn't buy it. We open up the letter and it's from my parents. And in that letter, my parents say, when we were younger and we just got married, someone gave me my parents, a camera, so, you could take, so they could take pictures of my older brother and me. And they didn't have money to afford it, but someone blessed them. And so they vowed and said, whenever we get the opportunity and we get money, we are going to sew a camera into someone's life. And thank God I was a recipient of that. So I called my parents, knowing it's a very expensive camera, and I sell them. Dad, you shouldn't have. Thank you so much. I know it's expensive, but you shouldn't have. And the reason I was so thankful for it was because on Easter weekend, my dad came and picked up my truck. My truck has been having some issues. I did as much uh, grunt work as I could to it, uh, basically put gas and put air in the tires. That didn't fix it, so <laughs> dad had to come do something else. So my loving dad, who's a mechanic, came, picked it up, put it on a trailer, and drove it back to Louisiana. Drove his truck with my truck on the back end and worked on it for a couple months. Blood, sweat, and tears money put into it, I now have it back, and it's running perfect. And I hug my dad and I kiss him and I say, thank you. You really shouldn't have. It means so much to me.
That's the same way majority of people in life view the gospel and view the love of God. They tell God, oh, you shouldn't have in two different distinct areas. One in defiance. Modern-day atheists and modern-day people of the world stand up and ball their fist at God and say, oh, you shouldn't have. I don't believe in you. I don't trust you. This happened, this happened, and you caused it. You shouldn't have done anything or been involved in my life. There's this frustration, this anger, this arrogance that happens. But then there's people in the church that have experienced the true love of God. Yeah. Amen. And we fall to our knees and we say this statement, Oh God, you shouldn't have. You shouldn't have sent your son to die on the cross for me. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? Thank you so much. And that's what I want to talk to you today about. Out of these two passages of scriptures, we're going to talk about how one, love found you. How two, love sustains you. And number three, how love protects you. You see, in the very first part of that scripture, Romans 5, 8, it says God demonstrates his love. He commends his love, as it says in the King James Version. He demonstrates his love, and in the Greek it means to place together, to set in the same place, to bring or band together, to stand with, to set with one another, to comprehend, to show, prove, establish, exhibit, to put together, unite parts into one whole. Love found you. It says in the scriptures that we were all sinners. Ever since Adam and Eve decided to eat that wonderful piece of fruit and mess it up for the rest of us, sin entered into the world. Each and every one of us has this sin nature. Like I said, I have a four-month-old baby, and I didn't have to teach it to scream and yell at me. He's real good at it. Came out the womb real trained and real proficient in the yelling department. Even at four months, I see this small baby rebellion that occurs as I know that he's perfectly fine and there's nothing wrong with him and he's whining and grunting and wanting to be picked up and I'll use my dad voice and I'll say, Noah, you're okay. And I can see for a split second in his little baby personality that he hears the voice, he registers in his mind that I am okay, he is right, and then he goes back to being a baby. Grunts, cries, and poops. And I say, you know what? Exactly. Exactly. We bind up that rebellious baby spirit. We're all born. I know. I know. I'm hungry too. We're all born with a sin nature. We all have that. But love found us. God commends and demonstrates his love. It's the connotation that God has his love and he's following you. And he's trying to find out where you're going. And he's looking and he's looking and he's waiting. And then right there, he meets you. He's bringing his love to find you. We were lost and love found us. We were sinners not looking for God, not looking for love, not looking for salvation. But God, in his great love, he demonstrates it by searching and looking and bringing the exact moments that he can say, now is when he'll receive it. Right now is when she needs it the most. And there's no condemnation. There's no hatred. There's no bringing up the past. There's no laughing. 
Like, I'm going to give you some love, but you're a complete idiot at what you just did. I'm saving you right now, but this is going on YouTube in heaven, and you will see this again. I guarantee it. You see, it says in Ephesians 3.23, For we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53.6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've done our own thing. We've gone our own places. We've done what we wanted. But God's good. And his love found us. 1 John 4, 8 and 9. It says, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. It says in the scriptures that Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. I want you to know that each and every person coming out the womb was already lost. And Jesus put it upon himself with the full mission knowing that he was going out to find you. And he was going out to find me. He says, that is my goal, that is my purpose. The Father sent me, I do nothing unless the Father tells me to do. And that was my mission, to go out and seek and save that which is lost. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he sent his son to find you. To find me. You see, I was saved at, as I told you early service, at a very sinful age of three years old. August 27th, 1990, the day before I turned four, I desperately knew I needed the love of a Savior. I probably knew I needed more apple juice than the love of the Savior, but as I laid in bed with my mom and we prayed, over my family and the salvation of my lost family members. I asked my, my mother, am I saved? Why are we praying for salvation? She then go, went on to describe to me the downfalls of hell and where I was going at three years old because I was such a wretched sinner. <laughs> she went on to explain to me how I could be saved. Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. He was buried And he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. If you believe that, son, and you confess that, son, you'll be saved. And you'll be able to go to heaven with mom and dad. So at that young age, I prayed the sinner's prayer of whatever my mom led me in at that day. Got saved. Started doing evangelism work in China at four years old. I'm joking. (laughs) Started living my life, doing my thing. I go to high school and I go to college. And I get angry at God. And I get angry at my parents. I do some things I'm not proud of. I do some things that uh, I look back and think, wow, if you just would have served God, you, you would have not done half the dumb stuff. But God is good, and he followed me. And he continued to pursue me, even through those times when I would ball my fist at him and be so angry at him. I decided once I graduated from college to go to Bible school, see if an I, Bible school that changed my life, put me on a track and a path that I'll be forever grateful for. Once you get there, the first week they bring you to something uh, called, I just forgot it again, help me out again, encounter, I think an elevator, some E word, encounter, 
And so they take you out to the woods to some camp, and they show videos, and they preach to you, and they, they just get you used to CFNI, and they tell you how it's going to be, and stuff like that. So the first night you get there, they have this just massive come to Jesus meeting. And I remember in this makeshift cabin that we were in, that I had to come to meeting Jesus, come to meeting with Jesus again. And at that moment, everything broke inside of me in a good way. And the stuff that I dealt with, the rebellion, the anger, the frustration, I just came and laid it all at his feet. I said, if you're good and you're God and you love me and you called me here, then we got to heal some things. we got to take care of some things. And I can take you to that cabin and I can take you to the spot where I just snotted and cried forever. And I remember when I finally came out of this wet, snotty days, I kind of opened one eye. The band was done playing. There was nowhere to be, no one to be found. I kind of looked over my shoulder and there was a group of people eating snacks and playing games. And I thought, I'm a chief sinner because all these people got saved so much quicker than me. There was just a lot of inner healing. And so I get up and I go and get some fruit snacks and, you know, maybe play some Twister. I don't think you can play Twister at CFNI, Monopoly or something like that. <laughs> and such began my journey. And I remember that moment that there was no condemnation, there was no hatred, there was no angriness that God poured out on me. He just poured his love out on me. He just reminded me how much he needed me, how much he wanted me. And at that moment, he found me. He found me, and I'm forever grateful for it. It's very important for each and every one of us to go back to the moment that Jesus saved us. I don't care if you've been saved one day or a hundred years. It is so vital to go back to that moment and remember the love that God had for you. Remember who you were, remember what you were, remember what you were going through, and now look at your life. And when you step into that moment and you can bring up those emotions and you can bring up the thoughts and the process of it, it makes me just want to thank him again. That old song, when I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me, it just makes me want to shout, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy. We need to go back and revisit and remember what it was like when he found us. When I was younger, we lived in, I lived in Lake Charles, Louisiana. It wasn't as big as it was now. We had a Walmart, and it wasn't a fancy uh, superstore. It was just one of those country Walmarts. I don't think it had actual groceries in it. It just had uh, just the normal Walmart stuff. And so um, we went to Walmart as a kid, J.C. Penney's, church, and funeral homes. Don't ask me why. That was my life. That's where we went. I was homeschooled. Those are the four places we went, and that's what we did. And so we used to always go to Walmart, and as soon as we get there, Mom would want to buy toilet paper and, you know, all that fun stuff. And me and my brother would take off running toward the toy section or the video game section. And, you know, we'd be trying to play Super Nintendo or, you know, try and figure out how we can uh, get those video games out of the case without anybody noticing and, uh, you know, go destroy the kid aisle. And we'd be playing, and we had no idea that mom was ready to go. We had no idea that, uh, you know, she may or may not have been looking for us. But Walmart invented this amazing thing um, that I think my mom should get credit for because she used it the most out of anybody, even in the store, called the intercom. <laughs> and so we would hear, Jeremiah and Josiah Land, please come to the front. Your party's waiting. 
And we'd be playing and we think, well, we aren't lost. We know where we're at. We're not doing anything. We're having fun. Who's looking for us? But as soon as we heard the voice and recognized that it was time to go, we realized the importance of getting there. And so we'd take off running through the store, pushing people down, kicking over their buggies. Mom was already pulling the paddle out of the van and was already swinging it. And so we were just trying to get there as quick as we could. You see, you didn't know you were lost until you heard the voice speak into your life. Come home. Come back home. I love you. I'm looking for you. I'm searching for you. You're doing your own thing, living your own life. And thank God, love found you. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for me. Christ died for you. Christ died for us. I know we're getting hungry. Let's go to the second point. Love sustains you. Love sustains you. Definitions of sustain, to give support or relief, to provide what is needed. We see in verse 9 of Romans 5, much more than being now justified by his blood. Much more than having now been justified by his blood. When you look up the word now in the Greek right there, it means now, right now at this moment, you sitting in that seat, his blood is ready, willing, available to justify you right now. Whatever your situation is, whatever's going on, whatever's happening, whatever you walked in heavy with, his love, his blood is ready to sustain you right now. The word in the Greek for justify, or the definition of it, the words are too long for my Cajun brain. To render righteous, or such as you ought to be. To declare, pronounce, one to be just, righteous, or such as he ought to be. Love sustains you and justifies you. It sustains you to help you get through whatever you're going through. And it justifies you and it lets you know that you're already succeeding, that you're already victorious, that you're already better than what you think you are. As he is, so are you. Jesus isn't poor. Jesus isn't sick. Jesus isn't angry. So if I'm like him, I need to start operating in those things. And he gives his blood to sustain me to get there. He already sees me that way. So if he already sees me that way, then I need to start following suit. You see, when Jesus was on the earth, he did many, many miracles. And the idea of sustaining would be just enough to get by. You know, you run out of gas and somebody brings you a can with like one or two gallons so you can just get there, just, just make it there, you know. Just enough to sustain me. Just give me enough to where I can make it. You get hungry at work and you have some type of health bar. Let me just eat the health bar. It can sustain me to get home to where hopefully my wife is cooking for me. Glory to God. Amen for that. Or maybe even after church, you know, when you get done preaching a good message, just something like that. Not a big deal. Sustains you. But that's not the type of sustaining that Jesus wants to implore in your life. Because when Jesus did miracles, his sustaining was an abundance of sustaining. Let's look at his first miracle. He could have just filled up one pot. Nope, not good enough for Jesus. His sustaining is an abundance. When he healed people, he didn't just heal them a little bit and said, stretch your hand out. It'll grow six inches today. Oh, thank you, Jesus. That's awesome. But if you keep following me and make sure you tie it to the church and make sure you 
Send me an email of all the sins you did. Next year, it'll grow an additional six inches all the way. Amen? God bless you. I'll see you all next week. Going to Judah. No, when he heals, it instantly grew back. And it grew back better than whenever they had it before. Some came out the womb with a messed up leg, messed up arm, blind. Had no idea what an eyeball looked like. And boom, God gives them an eyeball and gives them an even better one. He is a sustainer of abundance. He feeds the 5,000. He feeds the 4,000. He has 12 bags of leftovers. He has seven baskets of leftovers. He's a sustainer of abundance. He doesn't want you to barely get by. He wants to sustain you in abundance. He wants to bring you to places that you've never been before. He likes where you're at. That's awesome. But he wants to take you somewhere, and he wants to see you succeed. So it's time you get on the bandwagon and start seeing what God says and start growing and walking in that because he sustained you, and he's sustaining you right now, and he'll sustain you tomorrow, and he'll keep doing it over and over again if you let him. Romans 8, 33 through 39. I'll read these real quick. We've heard this before. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. Amen. That's a great one to read right there. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor debt, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It doesn't matter what you're going through. He helps you overcome each and everything. The love of God helps you come through every situation. You might be in it now, but he's bringing you through it. And he's giving you the power to overcome it. Not just barely make it, not just almost get there, but to succeed with a mighty, mighty victory. Because when you succeed, one, you give all glory to God that he's good and he's taking care of you. And two, you have a testimony that you can share with everyone else that empowers them to come with you higher and higher. We see in Galatians chapter 2, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. The law is over. Grace is here. And how do we operate in grace? By being justified by faith in Christ. He told us who we are. He's already established that when he walked out the tomb. We just have to have the faith to believe it. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. It doesn't tell you who you're going to be. It tells you how bad of a person you are. But thank God for grace because it tells me who I am and who I'm going to be in Jesus. I will preach a little bit if you let me. You see, we have water, sustains us. Everything in life has to survive on water. That's why we can't go live on the sun. It says you can, Louisiana science. (laughs) You can survive a couple days or weeks without food. You sitting here in the pew, I mean, it's probably mere minutes before you die from starvation. I know you're hungry. We're almost there. But you have to have water. You have to drink water to survive. Amen. 
You can't drink coffee. You can't just live on coffee. Some people try. Drink a bottle of water. If you come to church for anything, listen to this. Drink one bottle of water a day. Come on. You can't just survive on Cokes. I don't care if it says diet or not. You got to drink a bottle of water. You can't survive on Monsters. You can't survive. You got to drink water. Water sustains you. And the awesome thing is, right now, water is so plentiful. You can get it anywhere. You can get it in a bottle. You can get up and walk out and go to the restroom and get it right out the faucet, out the toilet. We don't recommend that. If you take a left instead of right to the bathroom, we have water faucets right there. Very delicious. If those aren't working, we even have a faucet outside attached to the church that you can drink. It's probably 115 degrees, but you can drink it. It'll be all right. We need water, and water's everywhere. And the more we drink it, the more it invigorates us. The more it gets us to go, the more it gets us. If I'm running a marathon, I want to drink some water. I was telling the earlier service, I don't want to drink a gallon of milk when I'm running a marathon. Probably not that successful. I was telling the earlier service that our good friend Ron Burgundy, the theologian of Anchorman, during that hot day, he's drinking that good, delicious gallon of milk, and he says, milk was a bad idea. If I'm in a war and I'm fighting, I don't want a cup of hot chocolate. I need some water to sustain myself. Yeah. Amen. Water is something that we need, and water is so plentiful. Yeah. God is the same way. He gives us his love, and he doesn't give us enough. He doesn't give us just a cup. He doesn't give us a six-pack when we're born of water, of his love, and say, you know what? Just keep it until you get to heaven. This is all I got of love for you, a six-pack of water. Just make it to heaven. Good luck with that. God says in his scriptures, and even I prayed it, that out of my belly will flow rivers of living water. Rivers, not a stream, not a drop, not just some little ping, 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 hopefully I can get something to splash on my face. Rivers of living water that's coming out over and over again to sustain me and help me through every situation. And if I'm going through a situation in my life and I think, you know what, God, I can't make it. I'm not doing good enough. I don't know how I'm going to survive. I just get to tap into that river and say, I'll drink some more. And I'll drink some more until I'm sustained. And I'll keep drinking and I'll keep believing and I'll keep hoping and I'll keep stepping out in faith and keep getting sustained until I am no longer thirsty. Because when he found you, he didn't just leave you there. He sustained you and continually sustained you. Lastly, love protects. Love protects you. We see in the last part of Romans 5, 9, much more than being now justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. We shall be saved. You've heard it preached here before that there's different levels of salvation. When you get saved and you believe 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, Christ died for my sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day. When you believe and you confess that, salvation occurs. Right then and there, the love of God completely transforms your life. But then there's this walking out of our salvation that happens where he sustains us with his love and he reminds us who he is to help us get through the day-to-day junk of life. And then there's this final salvation where we get to spend eternity with God, where there's this just amazing moment where we step into glory and see who he is, fall at his feet and say, boy, you shouldn't have, but I'm so grateful that you did. Thank you so much. So there's this salvation that's occurring, 
past, present, and future, all infused at one, that's happening all the time and happening not all at the time. Something fancy about eternity. And we see in the scriptures, I see at least three different ways that love is protecting us. Number one, I see love protecting us from the inside. In 1 John 4, 18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. It's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So I see this protection of love that's happening on the inside to me directly that God wants to do some things in my life. He wants to heal some things in my life. He doesn't want me to deal with fear or rejection or depression or anger or hatred. He doesn't want me to deal with those things. And so there's this love that is pushed inside of me to protect me from myself, to protect me from who I was and who I want to be. There's another aspect that love protects us. I'm almost done, buddy, I promise. Around us. He protects us around us. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, the NIV version, it always protects, always trusts. Talking about love, love always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. In the beginning part of verse 8, love never fails. So the love of God is protecting us from the inside. And now there's this protection that's happening on the outside that I'm walking in. Life is life. We don't get along with everyone. Some people annoy you, matter of fact. But there's a love that God gives us that helps us overcome all physical insufficiencies that we see. You see, the non-Christian world has tapped into it because we have all these organizations that are reaching out to the unloved. We have all these charities that are popping up that are specializing in helping people that are sick, that are lonely, that are destitute. And we have the suicide hotline. We have, we have alcohol, uh, AA, anonymous. We have all these different things. I know AA has some Christian value to it. But we have these different companies that are reaching out to help people that are trying to drill water wells in different countries that don't have water. But the thing is, their love is just temporary. Their love is to sustain them for maybe a week or a day or an hour or a month. And it might sustain them even to the end of their life. But the thing is that the Christian world has tapped into this love that protects us. Is It's an eternal love. It goes on forever and ever. So we can help and bring immediate relief right now. We can bring money. We can bring finances. But we have something that the non-Christian world doesn't have. We bring eternal love to the situation that can transform them from the inside out, that can change everything in their lives in a split moment. As soon as they accept and believe, everything changes. Chains fall off. Healings occur. Addictions are broken. Relationships are restored. And ultimately, they get the opportunity to step into those pearly gates. And here, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Love protects us internally, protects around us, and finally it protects our future in the wrath that shall come. And that's also talking in regards, Pastor Eric briefly touched on it Wednesday, 
those big fancy words, the tribulation, the beast, the dragons, you know, the scary things that Left Behind taught us about that we took for gold and everybody bought at Walmart in the late 90s. I don't know what all that means, but all I do know is that it says no matter what happens in the earth, there is tribulation, but we've already overcome it. So who cares what tribulation occurs? I've already overcome it, so it's settled. Love protects me. Whether I die here on earth or I get to hear that nifty trumpet in the sky and I go jumping up to meet Jesus, either way I win. Love still protects me. I still overcome. And if you don't believe anything that I've said at all, I want to let you know that love protects one thing that is probably very important to you or anybody. Love protects you from hell. If there's anything that you can say thank God for, hallelujah, I am so glad, love protects us from eternal damnation away from God. Love protects us from going there, and love protects us and brings us to heaven. I was telling the earlier service, now that we've had this kid, we have family members come over and stay with us. And I love them. They're my family. But after about two to three hours or days, <laughs> it's time to go. Can't stay, can't stay too long. And God is so good that he allows people to come to his house. His, his streets are paved with gold. He's going to let little kids come and play in heaven with all these fancy things that he got. He says, you know what, you can come to my house. And he's not inviting just two or three people. He's inviting millions and billions of people to come to his house. And not only stay for two or three days, maybe two or three years, hey, two or three centuries. He says, you know what, come stay with me for eternity. Thank you, God, for that, because I know some annoying people, and they're probably going to be in heaven. And thank you, God, for loving them. Put my house on the next street. I'm not looking at Heather. But God is so good that he protects us from hell. And he protects us into heaven. He says, come on. And you know what? You're not just going to live in a, in a shack or a tent, sleep on the gate. He built you a house. He made sure it looked real nice, real fancy. He wants you to enjoy yourself when you get up there. He wants to party with you. Because the thing was, at the very beginning, when you were running away, he was looking for you. He was searching for you. He said, I got a house for you. I got a party that you got to show up to. And then finally, he finds you. You find him, and oh, this is amazing. He says, well, I got to get him to the party. So he just pours his love out on you to sustain you and make sure you get there. He's blessing you, and he's bringing you to places, and he's bringing people into your life. And then as you're going on that journey, he's completely protecting you with his love everywhere you go. What a good God. You see, now that I'm a parent, I found out how much work it was to be a parent. Everybody tells you it's a lot of work, and nobody believes them. It's a lot of work. And then people are like, well, just wait till they turn one. Wait till they turn five, 14, 20, 30 trying to get them to six months. <laughs> so I found out that I really care and invest in what this kid does right now and into his future. I'm making sure that he eats the right things. Well, his mom makes sure he eats the right things. But when he gets older, I want to make sure he's eating vegetables and fruits and drinking water, not inhaling coffee and chocolate. 
I want to make sure he's eating the right thing. I want him to get the, the right stuff inside of him. Yeah. And then as, I, as he gets older, I want, to, I want to protect his surroundings. I want to make sure that, that he loves God and he finds out about how good God is at an early age. And I want to make sure that he goes to school and he makes good grades. I want to make sure that he goes to college. I want him to make sure that he finds the purpose and plan that God has for him. And I want to see him succeed in that path and get married and have kids and continue the tradition of the land name. I want to protect him around. I want to teach him how to drive. I want to make sure that he knows not to cross the street when there's tons of cars coming. I, I want to protect his surroundings. Yeah. And I want to protect his future. I want to preserve his future. I want to help him get to where he wants to be. I don't know what he wants to be. But when he does tell me that, I want to get him there. I want to make sure he succeeds. And now all of a sudden I step back and I see this revelation of who God is and what he's doing for me and he's doing for you. He wants to get you all healed up inside. He wants to keep you safe. You're a part of God's kingdom. You are a part of the church, and we cannot fully succeed and fully walk in what we're supposed to do in this earth if you're not a part of it. And he's doing all he can to protect you to get you there. And in conclusion, I'm finishing up. I just want to tell you this story that ties everything together, makes it a nice little gift so I can give it to you at the end of the service. And when I give you that gift, I just want to hear you say one phrase in a positive way. What do you think? Oh, you shouldn't have. And I'll say you're welcome. It's just my honor, my honor to give it to you. So let's wrap this present up so I can hand it to you and you can go home and eat some supper. Here we go. First Kings 17, 9 through 16. It's the story of Elijah. He's pronounced a famine. It's not going to rain to King Ahab until I say so. Ahab gets mad, he takes off running, he goes to a brook. God has ravens feeding him, eventually the brook dries up. We find God speaking to him right now, telling him what his next step is. God speaking to Elijah, arise, go to uh, McKinney, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to McKinney, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and then die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said. But make me a small cake from it first. Bring it to me, and afterwards make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord send rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And as she and her, there's so many pronouns right there, household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. You see, that woman is you and me. As we walk through life, we're gathering sticks, trying to figure out what we can do to survive, how we can get through life, not knowing that God had already sent somebody. God tells Elijah, go and find this woman you're going to take care of her. She's going to take care of you. God sent his son to seek and save that which is lost. As you walk through life and you gathered your sticks for your last meal, who knows what's going to happen next? 
God was already in the process of looking for you. God shows up and Elijah shows up and talks to that woman. And he delivers truth and he delivers healing. He delivers restoration. And he says, all you have to do is step out in faith and believe. If you do that, everything will change. Your life will change. Although there's a famine happening all around you, he says, God will sustain. She steps out in faith, just like you and me. When we heard that wonderful love message of the gospel and we believed and we acted on it, it forever changed our lives. And that woman believed and he said, as long as there's a famine and it doesn't rain, that oil and that flour will never run out. It'll keep providing. It'll keep showing up. You just keep tapping into it and you'll keep getting it. I want to let you know that right now in this earth, we are going through some rough times. And we are promised that there's going to be tribulations, but we've already overcome. Until this side of glory, we just, things are going to happen. But God has already provided. And he says, if you believe, if you step out, I will sustain you. And my oil will never run dry. It'll keep flowing. It'll keep flowing. It'll keep flowing. Just keep tapping into it. Just keep asking. Just keep looking for it. Just keep receiving it. And until you step into glory, until it starts raining, then it will dry up. God is a good God. Last verse I'm using and I'm shutting up. Romans 5.15. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man, talking about Adam's sin, offenses, many died. What are those two words? Much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. Now there's already much more that we've just established. Much more grace happening. Thank you. That's, that's good enough for me. Woo, much more. I love it. Yeah. It's not good enough for God. Then he throws out the word gift. It's free. Yeah. You don't have to buy it. Yeah. You don't have to try and get it on eBay for a certain price. It's free. It's a gift. He gives it to you. Yeah. And then what's the last phrase say to wrap it all up and put the icing on the cake? Abounded to many. Yeah. You were lost, not looking for love, and love found you with a purpose and a plan and an intention of finding you. And he didn't leave you alone. He poured his grace out and he gave you that free gift and he continued to just pour his love on you and he abounded it to everyone. There's no one within the sound of my voice or in the sound of this world that can't receive that same free gift of grace because God's a good God. He loves his people and he wants to see you succeed. So as I finish up, something that I continue to just be in awe of. Grown up in church and experienced him for all my life. But this, just, this verse just popped out to me and reminded me of how much he loves us. And I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what you did when you sat down today. What frustrations occur or waiting on you on the other side of those doors. But his love is here today to help you overcome every situation. He showed up when you didn't think he was, and he's here to help you get through that. So, Father God, I thank you.
for these people here. I thank you for your love. I thank you that you know each and every one of their hearts. You know what's going on in their lives. You know the, the pros, the cons, the things that are happening, Father. I thank you for this message that not only do they hear it in their ears, but they experience it in their hearts today. The love of the Father, the love of God that can transform and change any situation at any moment at any time. And God, I ask that you pour your love out right now, that you speak to your people right now, that they overcome right now, Father. I thank you right now that you're moving and you're breathing and you're actively pursuing each and every one of us and you want to see us succeed. As I finish, it just wouldn't be right if I didn't at least give somebody the opportunity to experience that love for the first time. I know a lot of us are family here, and we show up at church every time. I know we got some new faces here. But I would do the love of God injustice if I didn't offer that gift to somebody today, that free gift. Maybe you've never experienced God ever. Maybe you're away from God, like me, when I ran away from him in high school and college and did my own thing. And this is your moment. This is, like I said, when I was at CFNI and he spoke to me and he touched me and he healed me and he restored me. You can have both of those moments. A first time restoration experience of love, of salvation. Or you can have a come back to Jesus moment. And they're both awesome. I've experienced both. So with every eye closed and head bowed, it's just between me, you, and God so that I can stand in agreement with you. If you're one of those people, one, you've never been saved and you want to experience the love of God, or two, you've been away and he's searching for you right now. He's looking for you. He's, he's come back to you. And here he is presenting it. You can just stick your hand up for me real quick just so I can acknowledge you and just see what's going on. If not, it's fine. But it would be a travesty on my part if I didn't present this glorious gift to us. Father God, I thank you for each and every person here. Thank you for your people and your church and the opportunity to be a part of your church. Thank you that everyone here is continuing to experience the love of God and we will continually be reminded of it. I thank you for the word that went forth today, that it won't return void, but it will accomplish exactly what it's supposed to do in our lives. Father, I thank you for the word that went forth, that it'll fall on good ground in each and every one of our spirits today. And God, I demand of it, that it bears fruit in our souls, some 30, some 60, even 100 fold. Father, I thank you that it says in your word that if God is on our side, what can any man do to us? Because greater are you that's in us than anything that can come against us in the world. Father, I thank you that it says in your word that we have the mind of Christ and our body is the temple of the Most High God. And where you reside, no sickness or disease can reside there. Because by Jesus' stripes, each and every one of us is already healed. Father, I thank you that it says in your word that we are the head and not the tail. We're above and not beneath. We're blessed in the city and blessed in the field. Father, I thank you that everyone here is blessed where they are right now and they are blessed where they are going because they are your sons and daughters. The favor of God surrounds them like a shield and everything they put their hands to must prosper. Finally, Father, I thank you. Each and every person here is the salt and light of the earth. City set on a hill. 
and we refuse to be hidden. We've experienced this love and we can't go back and we can't shy away from telling other people about it so they can experience it. Help us be that shining light. I ask you to bless your people as they head out until they return to this building again. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.